so my name's Matt Sidley, for those of you that don't know. Jim has taken the week off. I, I made the mistake of saying during, during the first hour that Jim's going to be off for the rest of the month and taking a break and making him sound like a bum. Uh, he's just taking this week off. He's back next week, Father's Day. He'll be here. Um, and then uh, he's getting ready for the next sermon series that's coming up. We just finished a sermon series about the Lord's Prayer. For those of you who have been here with us the last few weeks, we've been going through that. And uh, when Jim had asked me to speak... Um, I really wanted to cover Matthew chapter 18, verse 21. It's the, it's the parable of the unforgiving servant. And I was, you know, I had told Evan that this was what I wanted to cover. And because uh, the importance of God's forgiveness, the forgiveness that he's shown towards me, the forgiveness he's shown towards you, and the importance and the need for forgiveness for us to forgive each other has just been one of the major themes that had stuck out to me during this, this sermon series. And... Uh, so t- two weeks ago, um, I was gone. I had uh, my back was flaring up. I, I had a herniated disc in my back um, last Christmas, and and so I woke up and you know just was getting ready to go to church, and I couldn't make it because I was barely able to walk. It was just in pain, and and so you know I made some phone calls, and you know because I'm not going to be able to be here to teach the youth class, and. And so I missed, I missed Jim's sermon where he was talking about, in the Lord's Prayer it says, and forgive us our debts as we have also have forgiven our debtors. And it goes on and talks in verse 14, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. And so I figured, you know, I was like, you know, this is a little confession time. I hadn't listened to that sermon right away. I listened to it this week because I figured, you know, Jim will probably touch on the parable and as I listened to it, Jim not only touched on the parable, he completely covered the parable and did an amazing job doing it. And I was just like, oh, 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 time for me to shift gears here a little bit. He, Jim did a great job because when you encounter stuff like that, sometimes in God's word, we hear, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. He says, but if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your heavenly Father forgive you your trespasses. And you come across the, these passages in Scripture sometime where you go, wait a minute. Is, is my level of forgiveness and in, in my salvation tied to the level of forgiveness that I show towards other people? And Jim did a good job, you know, he's looking at Romans 5 and some other places too, just kind of clarifying the picture that when we come to faith in Jesus, when we put our trust in Jesus and we say, Lord, forgive me. I want you to be the Lord of my life. We are saved. And what Jesus is talking about here is kind of the family business as a father teaching his children. How much forgiveness, how much forgiveness do you want? Because these themes come up, like as you go through Matthew, I've been going through Matthew with the youth, and uh, we actually are just in chapter 6 right now with the youth, but even in verse uh, chapter 7, it talks about judging. It says, judge not, that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How much judgment? How much do you judge people? Is, is, this, is this saying my judgment is tied, to, like the way that I judge others is tied to how God judges me in my salvation? No. But as a father that's teaching his children, how much judgment do you want from your father? Well, how much are you showing other people? How much forgiveness do you want from me? You know, thinking about teaching your kids, how much forgiveness do you want from me? Well, how much forgiveness are you showing to other people? 
How much mercy do you want from me? How much mercy are you showing other people? And this kind of, it seems like as you're going through the Gospel of Matthew, it's kind of building and it's moving through. And you get to, in, in chapter 7, verse 12, we get to the golden rule. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. We've grown up with that, right? Treat others the way you want to be treated. And this is where we get into, this is where we get into problems, right? It seems so simple, right? Treat others the way you want to be treated. Now, oftentimes we have double standards or triple standards or quadruple standards. We've got a lot of different standards out there, right, about how I'm going to treat people. You know, I want the highest level of treatment coming back to me, right? I want everybody to treat me nice. But do I treat everybody nice? Am I kind to everyone? Am I loving to everyone all the time in all my circumstances? If you talk to my family, they will tell you that's not true. They will tell you that I failed. The more you hang out with me, the more you realize how I'll fail. The more you'll realize. And this is where that need for forgiveness just comes into play all the more. So today, the passage that we're going to look at is Matthew chapter 9 verses 1 through 8. So we're going to put it up on the screen, and we're going to read it together. So if you're willing and able to stand, stand with me as we read this passage. It says, And getting into a boat, he crossed over and came to his own city. And behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. And behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, This man is blaspheming. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He then said to the paralytic, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and went home, when the crowds saw it, they were afraid, and they glorified God, who had given such authority to men. This is God's word, and you may be seated. So in verse 1, it says, In getting into a boat, he crossed over and came to his own city. I think for this story, it's kind of important to understand where Jesus had been coming from. So if you were to back up and to look at the end of chapter 8, you'll find a kind of a familiar story. Jesus had sailed across the sea, right? And he goes and he finds in this story, it's, it recounts two demon-possessed men. And in Jesus casting out the demons, there's this conversations that he, that he has with the demons where essentially they say, uh, you know, Jesus, don't, don't send us to essentially, don't send us away. Let us, let us go into these pigs. Let us go into these pigs. And so Jesus allows it. And so the demons go into these pigs, and the pigs take off running down the hill, and they go, and they jump off the cliff. And all the pigs land in the water, and they die, and they drown. Um, I was, my wife made me this picture. I was trying to, I told her, you know, one of those things where my wife helps me with the PowerPoints. I said, honey, I need a picture of pigs running and jumping off a cliff and drowning in the sea. Can you find that? And it needs to be a free stock photo because we don't want to be sued. So even if I was trying to steal a picture illegally to put up here, there aren't very many pictures of pigs running off cliffs, jumping into the sea. So the pigs jump off, and so we look at it, and we pick up in verse 33, and it says, the herdsmen, 
The people that were watching the pigs fled and going into the city, they told everything, everything that happened, the pigs, the demons, the whole thing, especially what had happened to the demon-possessed men. And behold, what happens? All the city came out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they begged him to leave their region. They begged him to leave. They came out and they heard all about what God had done in these two demon-possessed men's lives. He had taken the demons out of them. He had healed them. He had restored them. And the people come out and they'd heard all about this. They'd heard about what happened with the pigs and the stories. And they cared more about their pigs than they did these people. And so they said, Jesus, we kindly ask you to leave. Be gone. Get out of here. So getting into a boat, he crossed over and came to his own city. He goes to Capernaum. It says in verse 2, And behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. This, uh, this story of the paralytic is recorded in Mark's gospel as well and Luke's. And we're going to swing over to Luke's for just a little bit. So if you want to turn, Luke chapter 5, verse 17. It's what we're going to look at. Shed just a little bit more. It's a little bit more light on the story. So in Luke 5, 17, it says, On one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, And they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. The story might sound a little bit more familiar to you. So this guy's been paralyzed. For how long, I don't know. Was it from birth? Was there an accident? I'm not certain. His friends, they carry him. They pick him up. They carry him on his mat, his stretcher. I just imagine it like this, you know, like his, his little bedroll, and they're all holding a corner of it as they take him before Jesus. How far they travel, I don't know. Whether he was local or whether this was a long journey, but they get there, and when they get there, there's a large crowd around Jesus. This is a common theme now in Jesus' ministry because of the things that he's doing. Large crowds are gathering. So they get there and there's not even a way to get through the door. There are so many people packed in this place. But does that stop them? No. Someone hatches the harebrained stream. We're going to climb up on the roof. So we get up on the roof. They get up on the roof and they start tearing the roof off. Could you imagine at this point now you're inside, right? You actually, you got there early, right? Or you snuck in. Somehow you got in and you're in and you're listening. Jesus is teaching. What he's teaching on at this point, I don't know. He's teaching and all of a sudden you hear the walking on the roof. And then the pulling away of the roof, the thatched tiles and debris is following and there's a hole that keeps getting bigger and bigger as these hands are ripping debris out. I would assume at this point probably the teaching had stopped and there's kind of now a little bit of focus on the hole that's coming in on the roof. And as they're looking, and, and then as, as, as the silhouettes are illuminated of heads on the roof that are pulling this tile, then down comes 
the paralytic on a mat. I had, uh, I mentioned I have a herniated disc in my back, but back before Christmas is when I experienced this for the first time. And I, I you know, debilitating pain. Right. I don't know if anyone's had a herniated disc or experienced it, but you know, it's like just to sit upright, like I could feel the weight of my upper body compressing on my spine and I, I couldn't walk. So I got to experience the joy of calling the non-emergency line to schedule, say, hey, I need an ambulance just to be able to take me to the hospital, to the emergency room, because I can't get there. I can't sit upright in a car. And, you know, so I'm laying there in my bed at home, and then all the big burly uh, firemen and paramedics show up at my house, and help me to get into the gurney, to then wheel me out to the ambulance, to take me to the hospital. And, you know, I get my powerful pain medication because I'm in pain, starting to feel a little bit better. But while I'm there, they decided, you know, like, we want to know what's going on with your back. We don't know. We have theories. So we want to do a scan. So I don't remember if it was a CT scan, CAT scan, MRI. It was something, some sort of scan that cost a lot of money. Uh, so, you know, so they wheel me into the room and the ladies that are there are like, are you able to get up and get on the other bed? And I was just like, no, I can't. And they're like, all right, we'll just use the gurney. So the bed that I was laying on had like these straps that they could like take the strap from this corner and the lower corner and they hooked it up to this like hoist thing. And, you know, so then I'm kind of wrapped up like in my bedding that I was laying on on this hospital bed like a burrito. My shoulders are all tight and then it lifts me up and goes over drops me down into place. And then I go under the machine and I get scanned. It's a very kind of humiliating feeling to not be able to get up and just go from bed to bed. It was definitely a new experience for me. So I imagine the paralytic. He's wrapped up in his bedding, being lowered through the roof into a room full of people in a room full of Pharisees at that, teachers of the law, the religious holy people. He's being lowered before them. And I just imagine as he comes down and his mat hits the ground, because I imagine, you know, if the mat's coming down, this is where you try to, it, the room's packed, but you're kind of getting out of the way, right? This mat's coming down. And the mat comes down and it hits the ground and it unfurls. And here before Jesus lays this man. So let's head back to Matthew. It says, and when Jesus saw, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. Take heart, my son. It says when Jesus saw their faith. So these men, you know, sometimes when I read the story and I look at it and I go like, man, was this guy like, Forgiven because of other people's faith and he didn't have faith of his own? No. There's faith all around. His friends that were carrying him there on the mat and the, and the dude laying in the mat had faith to come before Jesus. And I can tell you for myself, like I would have much rather been one of the friends carrying him than the one on the mat if I got to choose which position I was in. But when Jesus saw their faith, he saw their faith it was lived out in action. It, it's reminiscent to me of James. In James chapter 2, in verse 14, it says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, 
And one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body. What good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. Jesus saw their faith being played out in their works and their actions of bringing this man before Jesus, which this man receives the greatest news of his life. Take heart, my son. Have courage. Cheer up, son. Your sins are forgiven. I I find it interesting, too, in the story. We We don't know this guy's name. He's defined as the paralytic. His identity so far in the story is identified by his ailment. And then he has an encounter with Jesus. He comes before Jesus, and Jesus identifies him as my son. Take heart, my son. Your sins are forgiven. And behold, just like that, there's always someone to reign on your parade. It says, behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, this man is blaspheming, referring to Jesus. This man is essentially taking away God's, he's usurping God's uh, prerogative to forgive sins. He's taking that away. Because sometimes, like even back then, a priest could announce, essentially announce your forgiveness. After some atonement, some sacrifice, they could kind of step in and be like, you know, remind you that you are forgiven. But they don't have the power to forgive sins. They don't have the power to do it. Because who has the power to forgive a sin? I used the analogy in the first service. Evan's not sitting as close to me because I used him last time. Now he's sitting in the back. So I'm going to use Timo because I go this way. So if I decided to throw a rock at Timo's head and hit his head because I wanted to, he did something that I didn't like, whatever, whatever my selfish mean motivations, where I throw a rock at his head. Who has the power to forgive me for this grievance? There's only one. So for Jesus to step in place and to say, your sins are forgiven, all of them, your sins have been forgiven, the Pharisees rightly are saying, wait a minute, he's stepping in place and putting himself in the role of God. This is blasphemy. Right? Your sins are forgiven. But Jesus, verse 4, knowing their thoughts, why do you think evil in your hearts? Knowing their thoughts. Is that not scary to anybody else? Just that reminder that Jesus, Jesus knew their thoughts. God knows your thoughts. It's kind of a theme so far throughout Scripture. We talked about it in the sermon series we had about, you know, the Lord's Prayer. He says, you know, to, to when, you, when you pray, you should go into your room and close the door because your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Same thing with your giving and your generosity. He says, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing because your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Our Heavenly Father sees what is done in secret Our Heavenly Father knows our thoughts. 
Is that a comforting thing for some of you? I know for myself, not so much. Because most of the times, the things that I do in secret aren't righteous things. Most of the times I do things that are secret are things that I don't want people to know because they're not right. They're not loving. They're self-gratifying. So I do them in secret because I don't want you to know. But our Heavenly Father knows all that is done in secret. And he asked the question to them, why? <laughs> the dangerous question, why do you think evil in your hearts? This is like when you ask your children, why did you do that? Why did you punch your sibling? Why did you hit them? Why did you take a cookie when I told you no? Why did you do this? Why did you do that? <sighs> you know, we go beyond kids. Why did you want that other man's spouse? Why did you want that other person's stuff? Why did you think it was a good idea to steal that from the store? Why did you think it was a good idea to put all that into your body? Why did you think it was a good idea to do this? We could go on and on and on and on and on. Why did you think it was a good idea to worship other things, earthly things that are man-made over God alone? Why? Why, 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 why? It's a nice reminder that our hearts are naturally not aligned with God's. Our hearts are naturally sinful. That's our default state. That's my default state. My default state is all about me. Numero uno. What is good for me? That's what I want, right? Treat others the way you want to be treated? Yeah. I want what's best for me by what I decide is what's best for me. So if that's me having something someone else wants, I want that, yeah, I'll find some way to get it. Maybe I have to take it or steal it. That's our default state. Why? He says, for which is easier in verse 5? To say your sins are forgiven or to say rise and walk? Shoot, I can say your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. Someone's laughing. How dare you laugh when I say your sins are forgiven? Why do you laugh when I say that? I think you're laughing because you don't believe that I have the power to do that, which you might be right. Now, the only way you'd know is till you're dead and gone and you stand before God, the creator of heaven and earth, and find out if what Matt just said was true, which, please, do not do that. I do not have. If you throw a rock at me, I have the power to forgive you. But your sins against God, there's only one alone that can forgive you of that. But Jesus says, but what's easier for me to say? Say that, a claim that essentially is unverifiable to you right now, or to say, rise, pick up your mat, and go home to this paralytic. So we return to the scene. So Jesus is talking to them. He says, but so, in verse 6, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins so that you know that I have the authority to do this, what I claim to be able to do, what I just did for this man. He turns and then he said to the paralytic, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And what happened? And he rose and he went home. When the crowd saw it, they were afraid. And they glorified God who had given such authority to men. So the paralytic is laying there on his mat. 
Jesus has kind of gone on this side tangent dealing with the thoughts that he had heard, that he had known, that the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were thinking. And he turns to say, to demonstrate that I have this authority to forgive sins, to not necessarily pronounce that you have been forgiven, but I have the authority to forgive. He turns to the paralytic and says, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. Now the house was packed. This is where I imagine like the people kind of begin to part a little bit like the Red Sea because it says they're afraid. So the paralytic stands up and he picks up his mat, winds up the rope maybe that he's brought in with him. He came in through the roof and that's not how he leaves. He walks out through the door. He's using his legs. And I just imagine as he walked out like the people just, you know, they, they're parting away like, whoo, whoo, whoo. make some room, let the man through. They saw it and they were afraid. And they glorified God. They praised God who had given such authority to men. And that's one of those things like when you first read it, you're like, wait a minute, what authority did he give to men? He's talking about the authority. They were praising God that essentially you've given us this, this man, Jesus, that has this authority to be able to, you know, in the stories that, you know, kind of surrounding this passage to cast out demons and to restore sight to the blind and making the lame walk has the authority to forgive sins. Thank you for sending us this person. Thank you for sending us this man. I have to confess, my first reading of this passage revealed a little bit of my heart to me and something the Lord has been convicting me of throughout the sermon series as we were going on through it on the Lord's Prayer. And that was the realization for myself that I place a higher value on what God can do for me than on the forgiveness that he has shown me. How did I come about this? Well, let me, let me read this to you again. I'm going to read this story to you again. It's going to be a few adaptations, and there's going to be a little bit of my reflection in it as I read it to you. So here we go. It says, getting into a boat, he crossed over and came to his own city. And behold, some people brought to him Matt Sidley laying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to Matt, take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. And behold, Matt Sidley said to himself, what? I just came here for healing not for forgiveness of sins. But Jesus, knowing his thoughts, why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say your sins are forgiven or to say rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he then said to Matt, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And Matt rose, and he went home. See, when I first encountered the story, I imagined that the paralytic was disappointed in what Jesus first said. Hey, uh, I can't walk, Jesus. I just came, I came to you because I want to walk. And I'm lowered before him, and Jesus' response is, your sins are forgiven? I just imagined that pregnant pause of like, uh, 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 and, and, and he can walk, yes, because he gets to that at the end. I've got what I came for. 
And I don't believe that that was the heart of the paralytic at all. And as I read it, I realized that that was my heart. That my heart at the time was more aligned with the Gentiles that were living across the sea that were more concerned with the fact that their pigs had just been destroyed and they wanted Jesus to go away than they were about the miraculous things that he was doing. The transformation that was going on in their lives. Jesus, you just caused us some discomfort, some pain, some financial hardship because our pigs are now gone. I'd like you to leave. Come back when you have a better story, when you have something better to offer me because my pigs are gone. So in, my, in your prayer life, as we were talking about this in the, in the previous sermon series, you know, it, I find it easy to ask God for things, the things that I want him to do for me. Father, I need help with my back. Could you heal me of my back? I have this pain and this suffering. That would be great. Father, I need you to help me lose a few pounds too. That would be good. You know, and the list, the, you know, the list of the things that like, I want God to do for me just goes on and on and on and on. How often does my prayer life reflect the fact that Jesus dealt with the, the biggest issue first? Cheer up, son. Be of good cheer because your sins are forgiven. They're forgiven. And just as in James said, the passage that we looked at in chapter 2, and it said, and who, you know, sees someone and says that they don't have food and they don't have clothing. Oh, go in peace, be well, be well fed and be, be warm. Jesus in his faith, he can't do that. He knows what he can do. So he heals the paralytic. I believe, and as I look at the passage, because the paralytic never speaks to Jesus. He never says anything to him. He's lowered before him. And I believe that it was his request of his heart to be forgiven of his sins. Oftentimes back then, it was people were thought, like if you had an ailment like this that you couldn't walk, it was because you were being punished by God for some sin you had committed. For some sin, some reason, you know, if you don't know what it is, you better find out what it is because you need forgiveness from it because it's causing you to not be able to walk. Jesus addresses this, you know, later when he's asked questions like, whose sin was this, his sin or this parent's sin that he came out not able to walk in different situations? Jesus very clearly describes that we live in a broken world and that there are ramifications of sin in the world in which we know, but it's not necessarily always related to directly, like, you sinned, now you're not walking. But this guy had probably been hearing this his whole life, that there was a sin problem that you had. So I'm pretty certain when he came and he lowered him on the mat, he was coming to ask Jesus to be forgiven of his sins. He wasn't coming to ask to be healed, to walk. I think he wanted that as a side effect. But I think his request was coming from the heart of it. Lord, there's a problem with me. Forgive me of my sins. So before he even asks, Jesus, who I'm pretty certain knew, says, take heart, my son. He's seen your faith in action. He says, your sins are forgiven. It's a genuine plea of his heart. Father, forgive my sins. Now, maybe you're in the same boat as me where... You've been walking with the Lord for a while. Sometimes your relationship can become stagnant at times or you forget things or we become forgetful, things that we don't prioritize as much. 
where I realized that I'm more interested in what God can do for me than the forgiveness that he's offered me. Which is why I wanted to cover that parable of the servant, uh, unbelieving servant, which, which if you missed it too, go back and listen to it online. Jim did a great job. Of how much we've been forgiven. We've been forgiven a debt we could never repay. We've been forgiven a debt we could never repay. And then God wants us as his children, as his followers, those that have been forgiven, to be people that forgive much, people that love much, people that are merciful, people that reflect him to the world. Maybe you're in the boat that you're kind of like the people in the crowd where, you know, you're, Jesus is new to you and you're, and you're afraid of like what's going on or you have other fears and you're kind of like, whoa, like what is, the, like, this is all new to me. The things you're talking about matter are foreign. It would be my heart and prayer for you that those things become not foreign to you. That you would come to know that your heavenly father did offer an atoning sacrifice for your sins. That he has authority to forgive you of your sins and wants you as his son or daughter. Just as the paralytic, he comes before Jesus in faith. Maybe it's that time for you to come before Jesus in faith and say, Father, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I want you to be Lord of my life. If you're in that boat and you're thinking about that, I'd ask that you talk to someone about it. I'm not asking you to tear through a roof to demonstrate it or for me to be able to see your faith. Our Heavenly Father knows your faith. But if that's the boat you're in, please come and talk to me or anyone. Talk to anybody. The person sitting next to you. But we'd love to know if that's the boat you're in. That'd be my heart and my prayer. That we be people that realize the value of the forgiveness. Jesus said, which is easier for me to say your sins are forgiven or pick up your mat and go home. Which was easier for him to accomplish? To say these things or to live a life perfectly, honoring his father and mother, keeping all the commandments, living a blameless life, a sinless life, and then offering it for us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Father, we thank you for the forgiveness that you've shown us. Father, I just ask that you would help us to be a people that are transformed by the forgiveness that you've offered. Father, that we would be ever mindful as, as, you, as you teach us to pray that we ask for it daily. The reminders of, Father, forgive us for what we've done, for the things that we've done in harming our relationship with you. Father, that you ask us to be people that forgive other people, forgiving those that wrong us being reminded of the fact that you have forgiven us so much. And Father, we just thank you that you were willing to do that for us. I just ask that here as we come to this time of communion where we celebrate the fact what you did on the cross, that atoning work, that sacrifice that you made, Father, that you had the authority, you have the authority to forgive our sins and restore us and put us in right relationship with you and that you can call us your children. 